This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and thank you for joining me as always the division by division NFL draft recap pods continue up next is the NFC West if you have missed any of the previous six episodes please get back and listen to them they're all about 20 to 25 minutes I share my thoughts on every single team's draft favorite picks, value picks, questionable picks or moves, an overview of the draft, and then at the end of each episode, I rank my favorite drafts one through four for each division, two divisions left. This episode will cover the NFC West, and the last episode of this mini podcast series, eight episodes, will be the AFC West. So let's jump right into it, starting with the Arizona Cardinals They were moving around early in the draft on draft night. They originally were at pick three. They traded back to pick 12 with Houston to allow Houston to come up for Will Anderson. They got an early second and a one and a three next year. An absolute haul, which is what they were looking for all of the draft season leading up to the NFL draft. They wanted to get out at three. They're arguably the weakest roster in the NFL, and they got Houston to bite now, after they moved back to 12, they did jump back up to 6, costing them their early second, but they got back a late third. So they were moving and grooving early in that draft. Eventually, at pick 6, they select Ohio State offensive tackle Paris Johnson Jr. In the second round, at pick 41, they take LSU edge B.J. Ojulari. In the third round, at pick 72, they take Syracuse cornerback Garrett Williams. In the third round, at pick 94, they take Stanford wide receiver Michael Wilson. In the fourth round, at pick 122, they take UCLA offensive guard John Gaines. In the fifth round, they took, at 139, Houston quarterback Clayton Toon. In the fifth round, they took Auburn linebacker Owen Papo. In the sixth round, at pick 180, they take Louisville cornerback Catrell Clark. And in the sixth round, at pick 30, at 213 overall, they took West Virginia defensive tackle Dante Stills. All in all, the Cardinals had one of the best draft weekends of any team in the NFL when you take into account that they got Houston's first round pick next year. They could conceivably have the number one and number two pick next year. They could have two picks in the top five, two picks in the top ten. They will have massive ammunition. If they do end up with the first or second pick in the NFL draft next year, they could conceivably choose to move on from Kyler Murray, probably get a haul of draft picks, including at least one, if not two firsts for Kyler Murray, on top of then being able to draft Caleb Williams or Drake May. So the process that Arizona used here was unbelievable. Uh so applauded to that. That is by far and away their best or favorite decision that they did was the process of getting down, picking up that future one, picking up a whole lot of 2024 draft picks. The Arizona Cardinals will own and really dictate how the 2024 NFL draft goes. But in terms of this year's draft class, who are my favorite picks? It was B.J. Ojolari in the second round. I've talked about it before. Once you got to the second round, it was kind of pick your flavor of ice cream in terms of the pass rushers, right? Some people, you know, wanted Isaiah Foskey. Some people wanted Derek Hall. Some people wanted B.J. Ojolari. I really like B.J. Ojolari's game. I feel like he was being criticized a little bit as the pre-draft months kind of dwindled down. But I thought he was an early to mid-second round pick. He comes off the board right 
in that early portion of round two. I really like B.J. Ojolari. I think, you know, I think the pass rush capabilities that he offers is high is highly intriguing. So I like that pick. I also love the Garrett Williams pick in the third round. For a team that is not looking to compete this year, I think the Garrett Williams pick is one of high risk, high reward. But the risk, I mean, the reward is really, really high. And in the third round of pick 72, I do not think the risk is all that great. If Garrett Williams did not suffer the injury that he suffered this past year, we're talking about a guy who would have been in the mix to be where, you know, uh, not maybe where Witherspoon went off the board, but where, you know, Emmanuel Forbes went off the board and Christian Gonzalez and Deontay Banks. So we're talking about a guy who had top 20, top 25 type cornerback upside. They got him at pick 72. So I really like that investment there as well. While I think there's some development and refinement needed for Paris Johnson, I do think uh, the ceiling for him is right up there uh, as high as any offensive tackle in this draft class. I didn't love the move back up from 12 to 6. I thought it cost him an early second, that I would have rather had an early second round pick and took the best available tackle in the uh, at pick 12. There were still... You know, there were still players available there on the board. Obviously, you know, Pittsburgh, you know, moved up to get, you know, to get their tackle, Broderick Jones. I think they, I think if I, what would have made me like their draft even slightly more was if they didn't come up from 12 to 6 to get Paris Johnson. They stayed at 12, they took Broderick Jones, and then they had that really early second round pick from Houston as well. If you tell me I could have had Broderick Jones and the second pick of round two, I would have rather had that than Paris Campbell. I mean, Paris Campbell, Paris Johnson. But they had identified Paris Johnson as the tackle that they most highly regarded. And when you think about it, he was going to be the picket three. It's still a brilliant move because in in the end, they end up from moving from three to six only. Get the guy they were going to take at three. And in addition, they got a late third round pick that was part of that Lions package when they swapped six and 12. So they got a late third round pick in the 80s this year. They got a first and a third next year. So to just move from three to six, when you're talking about the net result of those trades, from three to six, get the guy they still were going to take at three. They picked up a pick in this past draft in the third round in the 80s. Then they picked up a one from a team that could be in the top five next year and a three from that team next year. That is a tremendous overall net positive for the Arizona Cardinals. So even though I could say, oh, they could have stayed at 12, got Roger Jones and kept that early second round pick instead of that pick in the 80s, all in all, a job well done. My favorite value picks, I could have went a couple directions here. I went Owen Papo and Kytro Clark, two guys taken in round five and round six. I think Owen Papo could be a elite special teamer, but high-level athleticism that he could develop into a guy that maybe plays in sub-packages, and we know how often teams play in sub-packages, so I like Pepo's athleticism as a round five pick. And then Kytro Clark, I think, could develop into a starting nickel corner at the next level. So they got him in the sixth round. I really like both of those value picks. I like Jonathan Gaines in the fourth, but I kind of expected him to come off the board in the fourth. So I didn't think anybody where they got him was tremendous value, but I did think Pepo and Clark could have went around earlier and no, for each of them, and nobody would have been that surprised. Uh, the one thing that I might question a little bit, I already talked about the trade back up. Maybe I would have preferred Roger Jones in that pick in the early 30s and Paris Johnson in the pick in the 80s. But the only player that I maybe questioned a little bit was I wasn't as high on Michael Wilson as some. I thought, you know, based on the injury history, uh, I thought he was more of a, you know, a mid to late round four guy. They took him late round three. I, I think by that point, this draft was kind of 
pick your choice of guys. I don't think the, the guys coming off the board late round three were all that different than the people who came off the board in the middle of round four or even late round four. So I think it's I think it's me, you know, really nitpicking a little bit there because I don't think there was any, you know, there was a couple other wide receivers that I preferred over Michael Wilson, but I think he probably would have came off the board somewhere early round four if they didn't take him. So to, to take him at 94 wasn't that much of a reach. Uh, but all in all, Arizona Cardinals, A-plus draft, one of the best five draft classes, especially when you take into the additional 2024 draft capital they picked up. Uh, fantastic job for a team that really needs to fully embrace the rebuild. I think they're well on their way of doing that. If we take this next to the Los Angeles Rams, talking about a team uh, kind of embracing the rebuild, a team that we are used to not having many for, many draft picks at all because they often trade them. They go out, and I think they picked up 14 players in this draft class. In the second round, at pick 36 overall, they took TCU offensive guard Steve Avila. In the third round, of pick 77, they took Tennessee edge Brian Young. In the third round, of pick 89, they took Wake Forest defensive tackle Kobe Turner. In the fourth round, of pick 128, they took Georgia quarterback Stetson Bennett. In the fifth round, of pick 161, they took Appalachian State edge Nick Hampton. In the fifth round, of pick 174, they took Georgia offensive tackle Warren McClendon. In the fifth round, they also took Clemson tight end Davis Allen. In the fifth round, they also took BYU wide receiver Puka Nakua. In the sixth round, they took TCU cornerback uh, Travis Hodges Tomlinson, also just going by Trey Tomlinson right now. In the sixth round, they pick 189, they took Nebraska edge O'Chain Mathis. In the sixth round, they also took Mississippi running back Zach Evans. And then they had a trio of picks in the seventh round. Uh, they took Wingate punter Ethan Evans, Oklahoma State safety Jason Taylor II, and Toledo defensive lineman Deshaun Johnson. My favorite picks were Steve Avila in the early second round. If he would have went late round one, I, I don't, I wouldn't have been all that surprised. He's a guy who's a plug and play. Could be a guy who's a starter on that offensive line for seven, eight years. Uh, I think you know what you're getting. He's got some versatility to play center or guard. I think he's a long-term fixture uh, on that Rams offensive line. I really like the Byron Young pick in the third round as well. I know he's a little bit of an older prospect, but after you got out of that round two, the edge rushers in this draft class really fell off. I thought Byron Young was the last one that had legit juice, legit bend off the edge as a guy who could make an impact at the next level. So I understand he's a little bit of an older prospect, but I like what he brings to the table there. So those are my two favorite favorite picks. In terms of value picks, I think they found a lot of good value. I, I Trey Tomlinson in the sixth round to me is tremendous value. I know he's undersized. I know he's an outlier in that regards. But to me, he could have came off the board fourth round based on the skill set that he offers uh, as a guy who can compete for a nickel cornerback job. I, I just really like the technique, the instincts, the ball skills that he plays with even at his size and, and concerns there. I would have thought he would have went two rounds earlier than where he did. Zach Evans, if he would have went you know, in the fourth, early fourth round where some of the other running backs came off the board where guys like Roshan Johnson came off the board and, and other players like that or in the fifth round where Eric Gray came off the board and, you know and players like that you know uh I would have thought that was more than reasonable. I thought he was a top six or so back in this draft class. So I really like Zach Evans, the pick there. And let's be honest, they were not, there was a lot of time last year that maybe most people thought Cam Akers was on the outs in, in the Rams and didn't even think he was going to be a part of their future. So I think there's an opening there for Zach Evans to potentially materialize as a sixth round pick. I thought Puka Naku is a guy who a lot of people like. I thought the fifth round was about the right spot for him. So I thought that was a, a good pick for them. The Clemson tight end, Davis Allen, if he would have went off the board, you know, where uh, 
Cameron Latou went off the board late round three or early round four. I don't think anybody would have been that surprised. He's one of the be- he's one of the more complete tight ends in terms of a good blocker and a pass catcher. Uh, Clemson coaches rave about this kid, so I like that pick as well. So a whole bunch of picks there that I thought were really good values uh, where they got them in the sixth round and the fifth round. Really strong job there. My most questionable decision is I'm just not a Stetson Bennett fan. I know what he did in Georgia was impressive. Uh, I would have I would have rather used an early fourth round pick on, on a different positional player if they wanted to go get a quarterback. I would have rather them been more aggressive on day two and maybe they go get Hendon Hooker or somebody like that. Uh, I, I you know listen we talked about that run on other episodes of recapping the draft. The fourth round and the fifth round are going to become sweet spots for teams taking developmental quarterbacks that they hope can develop into backups and save teams a lot of money. So I get where they're coming from. I, you know, I just I like a guy like Jaron Hall a lot better than Stetson Bennett. Uh, there's some character concerns, there's some other you know, there's some other issues, and I think his skill set was really inflated by playing on that elite Georgia team. That I don't think at the next level that star that ability that he showed at Georgia is really going to translate. But you know, the Rams think he can. Great play caller great coach there and Shane McAvee great scheme so maybe uh, he can develop there into a backup if we keep this going the San Francisco 49ers were next they did not pick due to Christian McCaffrey trade the Trey Lance trade a lot going on that limited their draft capital this year they did have some compensatory picks along the way in the third round of pick 87, they took Penn State safety Jair Brown in the third round of pick 99 they took Michigan kicker Jake Moody in the third round at 101, they took Alabama tight end Cameron Latou. In the fifth round, they took South Alabama cornerback Darrell Luther Jr. In the fifth round, they took Georgia edge Robert Beal Jr. In the sixth round, they took TCU linebacker D. Winters. In the seventh round, they had a trio of picks. They took Braden Willis, the tight end fullback out of Oklahoma, wide receiver Ronnie Bell out of Michigan, and linebacker Jalen Graham out of Purdue. Did not really... It's a weird. Usually San Francisco and Baltimore, two of my favorite draft classes, year after year, rinse and repeat every single year. But this year, I did not feel that way. My favorite pick was actually their fifth rounder, Georgia Edge, Robert Beal Jr. I feel like if he was not a part of that loaded Georgia defense, he would be in a lot more recognition. Uh, but I think he's got a skill set that can develop into a situational pass rushing edge, and we'll see if there's more. But I, but I do like Robert Beal Jr.'s game. I like his traits a lot more than maybe production. Just didn't, wasn't asked to have a big role there, but believe it or not, that would be my favorite picks from their haul here. Uh, value picks, I would say maybe Jair Brown. There was talk for a while that maybe he would be a round two guy. Uh, did not really, the pre-draft process was not kind to him. He tested out a lot slower than people expected, for, especially for a safety player. Uh, so that mad him fall a little bit, but I still thought maybe he'd come off the board early round three. They get him a little bit more towards the back end of round three. So I thought that was a little bit of a value pick. Questionable picks. I mean, like I said, I didn't really love their process. Uh, I, I can't get behind a kicker in the third round, no matter what, no matter how good Michigan kicker Jake Moody is. I just think for a team that didn't have a first or a second round pick, I know they're a really talented team, but I, I, I have a hard time investing in the, a pick 99. There were good players still available in the third round. There were good players who went off the board early round four. Like think about a guy like Kaylee Ringo, you know, think, you know, a guy like that, you know, you, you make him the pick at 99 there over Jake Moody, and their draft class feels a lot different. A upside swing on an elite athlete from a major program who at once upon a time was getting top 20 buzz in this draft class. You know, you put you put a guy like Kaylee Ringo in there, or other guys who went off the board round four who, who were falling. You put them there instead of Jake Moody, and their draft class has a very different feel to it. Uh, I just can't get behind drafting, you know, specialists, you know, kickers, punters, you know, before like round five, to be honest with you, and, and they invested a top one. 
100 pick. And then also Cameron Latou, who I like as a tight end. But at 101, that just seemed really early. Again, I go back to the guys like Ringo and other players who I just thought were more talented and more skilled. Uh, there were wide receivers left on the board that I liked. You know, there was there were players on the board that that I thought were better swings for them than Michigan kicker Jake Moody and Alabama tight end Cameron Latou. So I, I have a I questioned those two third round picks after Jair Brown uh, significantly. If we keep this moving, next up is the Seattle Seahawks, one of the best drafts in the NFL. Also, uh, they're right in the mix as one of the top five or so, six in the draft. At pick number five in round one, they took Illinois cornerback Devin Witherspoon. At pick 20 in the first round, they took Ohio State wide receiver Jackson Smith Najigba. In the second round, at pick 37, they took Auburn edge Derek Hall. Also in the second, at pick 52, they took UCLA running back Zach Charbonnet. In the fourth round, at pick 108, they took LSU offensive guard Anthony Bradford. In the fourth round, at pick 123, they took Michigan Mississippi State defensive tackle Cameron Young. In the in the fifth round, at pick 151, they took Michigan edge Mike Morris. In the fifth round, at pick 154, they took Michigan center Olu Olutimi. In the sixth round, at pick 198, they took New Mexico safety Jarek Reed II. And in the seventh round, at pick 237, they took Georgia running back Kenny McIntosh. All in all, the Seahawks hit an absolute grand slam in this draft class. My favorite picks, hands down, Devin Weatherspoon at pick 5, Charbonnet at pick 20, and then Derek Hall at the top of the second at pick 37 there. Love all three of those picks. I I think while I would have been totally on board with them taking Jalen Carter at at pick 5, I just don't know if it was a gamble they needed to make with how much Devin Witherspoon gives them in terms of him and Terry Woolen could theoretically develop into be maybe the best one-two cornerback duo in the National Football League. He's a completely clean prospect, you know, character, work ethic, all that stuff off the charts. So Seattle decided to go with a guy who's got a high high reward, but almost zero concerns in terms of character off the field stuff. They chose to do that and leave a guy like Jalen Carter who might have the most talent of any player in this draft, but there are legitimate concerns. They went with the safer route, maybe the slightly less talented player, but a guy who gives them a really prolific potential one-two duo at the cornerback position. I mean, Jackson Smith and Ajigba, they're a better place. This is a guy who dominated in college when he was literally surrounded by Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson. He now goes to Seattle, and he's going to be surrounded by DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. I mean, Geno Smith must be ready to go, raring to go, uh, Easily makes that the best one, two, three wide receiver duo in the National Football League. And then Derek Hall, he's a guy that, you know, he's got good athleticism, good explosiveness, very much like a Carl Lawson type player, good hand usage, tough play, tough, good fit, good play strength, physicality, toughness. I really like Derek Hall pick there. So, you know, maybe they wanted defensive line help or edge help in that, that pick five overall. Well, they get a guy at pick 37, Derek Hall, who can give them that and then still get that cornerback, you know, an elite player there at the top of the draft. So I love all three of those picks. In terms of value picks, I'll say JSN is a tremendous value too. I know I don't like double dipping here, but I mean, Jackson Smith and the Jigba had absolutely no reason for going pick 20. And my guess is if he plays this year and he puts up another prolific, 13, 14, 1500 year with CJ Stroud as his quarterback. There is no way he's sliding the pick 20. I have said it for months and months. He dominated and won college football the same way Cooper Cup is dominated and won at the National Football League. 
I think it could translate. We'll see if it does. But I think his quickness, his change of direction, uh, I think that stuff is special. And I think it's, he's going to be hard to cover. And teams are not going to be able to pay much attention to him, especially early on in his career when you're talking about DK Metcalf on the outside, Tyler Lockett on the outside. So just an unbelievable uh, you know, trio of picks there to start. Uh, Kenny McIntosh, I thought it was a tremendous value pick in the seventh round. I know the pre-draft process was not kind to him either. Uh, but I think he's one of the best pass-catching running backs. If you're going to make a list of straight pass-catching running backs, he would easily be somewhere in that three to four range for this draft class after the guys towards the top of the draft. So we're talking about a guy, and Pete Carroll doesn't mind having different roles for different running backs, and we'll, we'll talk about that in a second. But I, I think Kenny McIntosh is a guy who can make the roster. You've seen Seattle have these guys, whether it's been Travis Homer or DJ Dallas, and they had specialized roles for them, even when they had you know better, more talented early down runners. They still use that third guy. I think Kenny McIntosh can develop into that as a situational pass-catching running back that they find ways to utilize that skill set. I I knew he wasn't going to come off the board probably round four anymore, but I still thought round five, round six for him. For him to go all the way to 237, I thought it was tremendous value. I like the Olotimi pick. I think he's one of the better uh, run blockers from the center position, so I think he can potentially start down the line. I think Cameron Young, they needed a run-stuffing defensive tackle. He offers that. Anthony Bradford, I think, could develop into a starting guard on the interior of that offensive line there. And he's a great run blocker himself. Seattle, we know, loves to run the ball. So up and down here, Mike Morris in the fifth round, I thought was good value. The only thing I would question about the Seahawks' entire draft, to be honest with you, is I I thought the Zach Charbonnet pick at 52 was something they just didn't need to do. To me, it was the Seahawks just not being able to control themselves. I I think Kenneth Walker is a special talent, and I don't want to limit how much I give him the ball. I understand we're in the day and age where there is no bell counts, but I I still want to make sure Kenneth Walker is touching the ball 18 times a game, 17, 18 touches a game. If Zach Charbonnet is going to make him more of a 13 or 14 touch player, and it's going to be Charbonnet for another 12 or 13 and it's going to be a 50 50 or 60 40 timeshare I, I think it's a I, I, I think they're I think they're hurting what they're going to get out of Kenneth Walker teams don't look at running backs as long-term investments anymore they look at them as one contract players and then we'll see so if I'm going to think of a, a running back as a one contract type player I want to be maximizing everything I can get out of him I don't need to be you know protecting him you know, in his first contract, if, if, if we're uncertain whether we're even going to consider offering him a second contract. So I, I don't want to be giving Kenneth Walker 13 or 14 touches. I want him in the 17, 18 area. And I feel like the pick of Charbonnet at pick 52, who had a lot of backers, I wasn't as high on, on him as others, uh, but other people were. So he, he's going to get looks. He's going to get touches. I do think Kenneth Walker will outshine. I think once they're both in that room, I think, I think we're going to see that there's a pretty big talent gap and talent disparity between these two. Uh, I think the thought that Zach Charbonnet is a pass-catching back is borderline laughable, and I don't really say things like that too often, but I don't care what his stats say. He played in an offense that that produced gaping holes for running backs, allowed him to build up uh, his speed and and you know and and then use his play strength. I think he's a very scheme dependent player uh, who needs to have a great running uh, a great rushing O line in front of him to allow him those gaping holes to pick up his steam. I think you see his better footwork once he he gets to the second level of defense, but that's when he has gaping holes. I think his stop start ability is very questionable. Uh, I think he's going to struggle with that at the next level, and I think I don't think he's going to be a pass catching running back at the next level. I'd be stunned if teams look at 
at him like that. I don't even think Seattle's going to look at him like that. I think they're going to look at him as more of an early down guy. And that's why I said I wouldn't be surprised if Kenny McIntosh is very much in the mix to be their pass catching back. Because I just don't think, I know what Charbonnet did in college, but I, I think it's a little fool's gold to think he's going to be a pass catching running back. He does not fit the profile of what NFL teams are usually looking back, looking for pass catching running backs. They're looking for guys who are space players, uh, guys, you know, who can run different routes, who if they want to line them up in the slot can do different things with them. I, I, he's not, he doesn't have the speed or the quickness and the change of direction to beat linebackers, you know, in the open field. He just doesn't have that. He needs that, that, that runway. I think he could be a good guy who catches screens and if he's got good blocking in front of him can make things happen. But I do not think he fits the profile of a guy who's going to be a, a, a good receiving back. I think average or functional at best. I think Kenneth Walker could be average or functional at best. He showed it last year after not being asked to do anything in college. Last year, he caught almost like 27 or 30 passes. So I think he already showed he could be functional. I think that's all Charbonnet will be at the next level, too, in terms of his pass-catching ability. If we keep this moving... uh, Oh, I think I covered it. So, NFC West, four teams. I did like overall all of the drafts here. I will say, without a doubt, uh, Seattle was my favorite team. They're number one in the division... Just the picks they got, Witherspoon, Smith and the Jigba, Hall, everything about them. I love their draft. So they would be number one in terms of my favorite uh, drafts from the NFC West. The Arizona Cardinals would clearly be number two for me, especially with the future draft capital, the process that they brought. I had almost no complaints with what they did. The only issue I said I had was them moving back up to, to get Paris Johnson. I think I would have just preferred staying there, taking Broderick Jones and having that early second-round pick instead of a pick in the 80s. But that's nitpicking. They're set up big time for the 2024 NFL Draft. I would say the Rams were probably my third then in the division. Uh, Just a lot of solid picks. I think they're looking to get four or five guys who can be legitimate starters or contributors from this draft class. I think they will get that when you go up and down this massive list of draft picks. And then last rounding out the division, I talked about them. I was not a big fan of what San Francisco did. I thought thought their two third-round picks were very, very questionable at best. And when you don't have a first or a second-round pick, I do not think you want to be reaching for third-round picks. And I know there were late thirds, but I thought there were talented players on the board who offered a lot more upside. Uh, and and would have made their draft class look a lot better. So San Francisco clearly forked for me. So Seattle one, Arizona two, uh, Los Angeles three, and San Francisco four in terms of favorite draft classes from the NFC West. If you're enjoying these, please get over to the website. Uh, SS Football is the fastest and easiest way to get there. Check out our premium content tab. It is still not too late to purchase the premium notebooks. There's a lot of value that can be had in that from the scouting notebook, which has detailed uh, scouting reports on 100 of the offensive skill players. The draft projections notebook, even though the draft is coming gone, there is a snapshot of over 400 players in terms of how they win, developmental areas. Uh, and then most importantly right now, you get the rankings notebook, which has all our different rankings. It has rookie rankings for your dynasty drafts. It has IDP rookie rankings. Uh, It has Devi rankings. It'll soon have updated positional dynasty overall rankings as well. So, on behalf of our sound tech engineer, David Nakano, and myself, thank you for joining us, and we look forward next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday.